0: It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. We've got a lot of potentially market moving events going on this week. You know, we've got the summit which I think is getting underway this evening, uh, New York time, uh, tomorrow morning, Singapore time with uh, North Korea. President Trump is there. But we've got the Federal Open Market Committee meeting begins tomorrow. It's a two-day meeting. It concludes on Wednesday with uh, a rate hike. In fact, the odds of a rate hike are 100 percent. That's how uh, the traders are handicapping it. So, in all probability, there will be a rate hike. Again, I don't think the odds are 100%. The way uh, Wall Street seems to be betting it, because eventually the Fed is going to reverse course, and it probably will come as a surprise. The odds are the surprise won't happen on Wednesday, so they'll probably hike rates. You know, right now we're at one and a half to one and three quarters, so the next hike will be one and three quarters to two. I think what might surprise the markets, to the extent we get a surprise, may be the Fed dialing back expectations for later hikes. A lot of people are still looking for two more hikes this year in addition to the one that we're going to get on Wednesday. Uh, They may indicate that we are closer to the end of the rate hiking cycle than the markets might otherwise believe. Maybe they will dial back anticipation of how much quantitative tightening They're actually going to deliver. Again, I don't think they're really going to deliver much at all in the way of quantitative tightening. But they may indicate to the markets that they're not going to do as much of what the markets for some reason believe they're going to do. But in any event, there is a 100% probability of the hike. Uh, So I don't think the hike itself is going to move markets at all unless they don't hike. If they don't hike, that should prove or provide a big boost to gold, there should be a big drop in the dollar. If they don't hike, I think what would be the market uh, moving event would be some um, uh, representation that causes people to rethink uh, future hikes. But again, if you look at how gold has traded in the past, whenever the Fed has hiked rates during this cycle, it has generally been bullish for gold, if not the very day, uh, within the next few days, because gold has already factored in all of these hikes, um, and then people may just buy the fact because they've already sold on the rumor. Uh, the same thing applies for the dollar. I mean, the dollar has been decreasing during this rate hiking cycle. Uh, we've had some gains in the dollar this year, but since the Fed started to raise rates at the end of 2015, the dollar has been in a decline, and the price of gold has been rising. You know, also we've got the ECB meeting uh, coming this week as well. They're going to be talking about their QE program and how quickly they may be winding it down or tapering it off. You know, they're still not talking about shrinking their balance sheet over there. They're, They're just trying to talk about growing it more slowly, whereas the Fed is still talking about shrinking it when I think the real move is going to be the Fed deciding to reflate the balance sheet even bigger. And at some point there will be enough pressure coming from the Bundesbank on the ECB to actually not only stop expanding their balance sheet, but to actually do what the Fed is pretending it's going to do and shrink the balance sheet. But I'm going to talk more about that in the podcast that I do later in the week. I want to focus a little bit more today on trade, in particular the G7 meeting that was just concluded Uh, up in Canada, and that's generated a lot of press because Donald Trump and his aides, Larry Kudlow uh, in particular, but Peter Navarro, very uh, uh, insulting, uh, Trudeau, I am not a, a fan of his, by the way, I mean, I, you know, I've criticized things that he said in the past, I mean, very, very liberal guy, so I'm clearly not a fan But in this instance, I think that the president is out of line in saying that Trudeau was so out of line in his comments about how he feels about the new tariffs that America is imposing on Canada, particularly when uh, the U.S. is claiming that this is being done uh, for national security purposes, as if uh, Canada is some kind of national security threat, as if somehow we can't count on Canada. To the extent that we are engaged in a war, uh, that maybe Canada is going to have an embargo on us and they're not going to allow you know, Canadian steel to come into the American market. I mean, that is completely absurd. And I think that Trudeau is right to call the, the president out on the absurdity of claiming that Canada is anything but a strong ally of the United States and to try to say that we're putting a tariff uh, on these Canadian products. Ah, uh, because of national security, is is nonsense, and again, of course, the tariffs don't fall on Canada; they fall on American consumers who wish to buy uh, Canadian products, and and part of it. I and I listened to uh, Trump's uh, explanation, and you know, I guess, in a news conference following the G seven when he refuses to in, endorse uh, their their statement because of these uh, this tension. But he claims that, hey, he's all for free trade. He doesn't want any tariffs. He doesn't want any subsidies. He doesn't want any artificial barriers at all, which I agree with. I mean, that should be the case. But what the president is actually doing doesn't match what he's saying. Now, he's all upset about the fact that uh, Canada has a maybe 280% maximum tariff on dairy, right, U.S. dairy coming into Canada. And they do. They have... Uh, a a, a big tariff, but that is not a major part of the problem with trade. As far as our trade deficit with Canada, very little of it has to do with milk. Uh, Yet the president wants to make a big deal about these tariffs when every country has these idiotic tariffs, including the United States. Look, why does Canada have such high tariffs on milk? Because they know that if they allowed all the U.S. milk to come across the border, that the Canadian dairy farmers couldn't compete and they would go out of business because Canadians could buy milk for less money buying American milk uh, than buying Canadian milk. So Canada is suffering as a result of those tariffs in that milk is more expensive. Now, I mean, is it killing the Canadian economy to have to pay more for milk? No, right? Would they be better off if they could pay less for milk? Absolutely. But politically, the dairy farmers are highly organized, and if these tariffs went away, they have a lot to lose. And that's the politics of subsidies. When you have an organized political group that is in a position to give donations and support politicians who will support uh, these tariffs or any kind of subsidies, that's what happens. The the people who would benefit are not an organized group of milk consumers because that's pretty much everybody. But the same thing happens all over the world. Look at Japan. I think the Japanese tariffs on rice get above 700%. On rice, 700%. That's, what, more than double the tariffs that uh, the Canadians have on dairy. Why are they charging such high tariffs? Because if they didn't, the, the Japanese rice farmers would go out of business. I mean, Farming rice in Japan, if you look at Japan, I mean, it's not ideally suited for farming, right? Now, rice is a big staple in Japan. Obviously, if they could just import their rice, rice would be a lot cheaper. They they eat rice every day. I mean, rice is part of every meal in in Japan. Uh, Yet, you know, they have these tariffs. Now, you know, is it destroying the Japanese economy? No, they're wealthy people. They can afford to pay more for rice. But why are they doing it? Because they want to preserve the Japanese rice farmer. They know that if they got rid of these tariffs, those farmers would go away and the Japanese would all get cheaper rice. You know, would the Japanese be better off without farmers for rice? Yes, they would be. But politically, it's not going to happen because the rice farmers are too organized. They they have too much to lose if these subsidies go away. And the amount that each individual Japanese is going to gain from having cheaper rice is not enough to to offset it. You know, and maybe there are some people that still think culturally, oh, yes, we're willing to pay a little bit more for rice just to preserve this tradition. Okay, well, that's what they want to do. Maybe the Canadians want to pay a little bit more for milk to preserve the tradition of having Canadian dairy farmers. Now, America, we do the same thing. We have a gigantic agricultural uh, subsidy. We have an entire Department of Agriculture that is designed to subsidize farmers so that they can enjoy higher incomes at the expense of the broader population that has to pay higher food prices. I mean, what example is sugar? You know, we have sugar tariffs. I think they get as high as about 80%. I mean, look at the difference between the U.S. price of sugar and the world price of sugar. There's a big difference uh between what americans pay for sugar and what we could pay if we imported more sugar but we don't because the sugar industry is a powerful lobbying industry in america just like the dairy farmers are in canada or the rice farmers are in japan yet donald trump is sitting there holier than thou yelling at the uh the canadians for doing the same thing that the americans do now is america uh, worse off because of these tariffs absolutely I mean, sugar is in so many things that we consume. It's not just the price of the sugar, but the price of all the products that contain sugar. Everything is more expensive because of these tariffs. Yet the tariffs remain. Why doesn't Trump just get rid of them? He says, oh, I'm a free trader. Get rid of all these tariffs. He doesn't want to do it because of the politics. Right? That's the problem. Now, I know some people can say, well, but he can't just do it unilaterally. He's got to make sure that other countries get rid of their tariffs. Like, we're only going to get rid of our uh, tariffs on sugar if you get rid of your dairy tariffs. Or why doesn't Canada mention, you know, we have tariffs on Canadian lumber. We make Americans pay more for lumber because we want to keep out the Canadian lumber to protect uh, the American lumber industry. But if someone's going to say, well, why doesn't, you know, Trump just can't unilaterally just drop tariffs, right? Because he wants to pretend I'm for free trade as long as everybody else is for free trade. But if other people want tariffs, then I'm going to do it too. That's not right. Look, if other people are making a mistake, you don't do the same mistake, right? That didn't, you know, did Trump's mother never tell him, hey, if your friends are gonna jump off a bridge, does that mean you're gonna jump off a bridge? You know, free trade is all about the ability to trade freely with anybody. And you benefit from that. So if Americans have the ability to trade freely with people anywhere in the world, right? If I if they can look for the best deal and if they can find the best deal in America great, but if they can find the best deal in Canada, you know, or Germany or Japan then that's where they shop, right? And if we dropped all of our tariffs and just allowed Americans the freedom to buy the lowest cost, best quality goods they can find anywhere in the world, we win. Everybody else loses. It doesn't matter what they do. If other countries want to deny their citizens the freedom to make the best choices, that's their problem. It's not our problem. We are better off, regardless of what any other country does, the best thing that we could do is allow everybody to trade freely. Now, politically, right? that's not the best decision our leaders can make because they're trying to get elected, they're trying to get support, so they need to pander to the special interests. And the special interest groups, well, they have interests that are opposed to the broader interest of the overall population, but the broader population is not a cohesive group And the benefits they get are not readily seen and they're diffused. Whereas the benefits to the class, whether it's a dairy farmer or somebody in the lumber industry or a sugar guy or a rice guy in Japan, they can clearly see the benefits of the tariffs or the subsidies. And they know what's going to happen if they lose them. And so the stakes are higher. And so they're they're working. They're motivated. They're giving their political support, not only their votes, but their money, their contributions. And so that's the reason that countries just don't give this stuff up. I mean, Trump can say, oh, I'm a free trader. Ideally, I want no tariffs. Fine. Well, you're in a position. Let's start eliminating them. What's stopping you? We don't have to wait for other countries to do the same thing. You know, if another country wants to prevent its citizens from buying some of our goods, that's their loss. Right? I mean, we'll consume the goods ourselves or we'll trade with other people who allow their citizens to have more freedom. Now some people say, "Well, what if another country is dumping their products?" You know, we have to prevent that. Why? Why would we want to prevent that? You know what dumping is? Dumping is when a country is subsidizing an industry to allow it to sell products to another country at less than the cost of production. That means they're actually losing on the deal. Well, if they're losing, who's winning? We're winning. The dumpers are losing. The dumpees are the winners. They get to consume products for less than it costs the dumper to produce them. What a sweet deal. Why would you want to stop countries from being dumb enough to dump? Now, I know there's an argument. They'll say, well, what about a business now who can't compete because another country is dumping products into the market? Well, you know, that's life. Life isn't fair. No businessman uh, is guaranteed that he's going to be a success. That's part of the risk of going into business. I suppose that if you go into business, you take a risk that some other country is going to be dumb enough to dump your product into the market. But you know, the government's not there uh, to protect uh, a businessman. We We want freedom. And if Americans could take advantage of other people's stupidity, then we should be able to take advantage of it. And the fact of the matter is, Even if you have a country that's dumping something, they're not going to do it forever because they're not going to lose money forever and they're not going to dump everything. And people forget, you know, there's going to be some jobs. Let's say, you know, some country wants to dump a particular product into our market and now American consumers can buy that product cheaper than we could buy it if we made it ourselves. And yes, there's going to be some people that used to make that product that lose their jobs. Okay, but now other people are going to get jobs that are the byproduct of the fact that we can buy this stuff cheaper because now that frees up resources. Consumers have more money to spend on other things because they got to buy the dump product on the cheap. So now there are other jobs that are created in other areas of the economy. And, And so it's a net win. But the best thing for the government to do is just stay out of it. It's not about fair trade, right? It's about free trade. If it's free, it's fair. It's when the governments get involved trade is no longer free. And now it's not fair, right? But they like to to talk about free trade, but they don't actually want it. And when, when they have the opportunity, they never take it. And what's stopping them is politics. And what is disingenuous is Trump calling out Trudeau for doing what every other politician is doing right now, including himself. And by the way, are massive trade deficits that Donald Trump is talking about and is rightly pointing out are a huge problem, and they are, and they are the consequence of a bigger problem. These problems have nothing to do with unfair trade. They have nothing to do with tariffs. They have nothing to do with subsidies. I mean, although they have something to do with it, but that's a small, small part of it, right? Even if all these subsidies or tariffs went away, America would still have massive trade deficits on an annual basis. The reason we have it has to do with our own domestic lack of savings, our own monetary policy, our own regulatory policy, our taxation system. There are lots of things that need to be reformed and government needs to be made smaller right, in order to solve these problems. And of course, another one that no one wants to talk about is we get the benefit of issuing the world's reserve currency. And When we're doing that, we're just going to run trade deficits based on the way the current monetary system is operating, and we get a short-term benefit from that. We get to live beyond our means. We have consumer prices and interest rates that are lower than they otherwise would be. And what Trump needs to point out, if he really wants to tackle this issue, is balancing the books on trade means accepting a lower standard of living in the short run. It means living with them in our means, and it means consumer goods are going to be more expensive than they are now, and it means interest rates are going to be higher. Why? Because foreigners take those trade surpluses and buy U.S. Treasuries. Well, if they didn't have the surpluses, they wouldn't be buying the Treasuries. So the surpluses go away, and the foreign buying of Treasuries goes away. So we have higher interest rates because we have to get domestic savers to buy those Treasuries and we have to get domestic producers to make all the goods that we're no longer importing. So if we have to a lot rely on our own businesses to produce the goods that we consume and our own savers to buy the bonds that the government is selling, well we're going to have much higher prices for the goods and much higher prices for the loans in the form of higher interest rates. Now, I wanted to point one thing out too if, you know, people like to, you know, call me out for being overly critical of Donald Trump. And, you know, I criticize him when I think he should be criticized, and I defend him when I think he should be defended. And he was attacked on Sunday at the, the Tony Awards. Robert De Niro, I don't know if you saw this, or you, maybe you read about it by now, but the guy comes out on stage to, to, to introduce uh, Bruce Springsteen to get an award. And he comes out and he says, I just want to say one thing. And then he says, F-Trump, except he, does, he, does, he finishes, he says the rest of the F-word. He doesn't just say F. I'm trying to be more polite than Robert De Niro was, you know, on national television. And, you know, he has his fist pumped in the air, and probably what's even crazier than the fact that he actually said F, the sitting president of the United States, at Radio City Music Hall, on national television, on CBS, at an awards show for the Tonys. What's even probably crazier than the fact that he said it was that the audience reacted to it or the way they reacted. He got a standing ovation. I mean, look at the crowd. They are on their feet applauding uh, F Trump. I mean, look, nobody is booing. There's not a single person that's yelling, boo, you know, this is inappropriate. And, you know, my first reaction when I, I, I saw this was, wait a minute, well, I mean, what if a Republican... You know, had had been up there and Barack Obama was still president and a Republican came came up. And, of course, there's not that many Republicans. But, you know, you, you, you got a few of them. Right. But let's say there was a, a Republican uh, actor. And before he gave his award, he just I just want to say one thing. You know, F. Obama. I mean, first of all, not only would nobody have applauded, I mean, the whole, the first of all, everybody would have stood up and booed, but I mean, if something like that happened, I mean, there would be boycott of the Grammys. I mean, let's boycott all of the, you know, all of the plays. Let's boycott CBS. Let's boycott all the advertisers. I mean, I mean, whoever, who this guy is, I mean, his career would have been over probably, right? He probably never could be in another movie. He would never be invited anywhere. He'd be done. Absolutely done. Uh, yet I don't think uh, you know Robert de Niro is gonna have to take a cut and pay on his next movie because he said F the sitting president of the United States and look, you know Trump may be doing something wrong, but you still have to respect the fact that he's the president of the United States, but the left has absolutely no respect for the fact that he's the president of the United States and basically nothing wrong with saying you know f uh, F Trump at the award and you know the thing about it is I really wish that Trump was doing stuff that would really infuriate the left. I wish he was goring a lot of their sacred cows, but he's not. I mean, if you put a Democrat in the White House and had him do almost everything that Trump is doing, he would enjoy massive support uh, from the Democrats. I mean, he is not eliminating any of their programs that they like so much. He's not cutting government. He's making government bigger. He's not going after Social Security. He's not going after Medicare. You know, he's not going after this idiotic concept of, uh, of group rights. You know, he's not defending individual liberty. I mean, he's not, he's, 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 he's doing all the things that the left would want in general. But for some reason, they're just, they just hate the guy. And it's perfectly fine to express your hatred in any form that you want. And there's no, you know, negative uh, ramifications for any of it. No, I was watching a uh, Bill Maher. He does, uh, he does that show on HBO. And he was talking about why he's rooting for the economy to tank in a recession uh, because he thinks that's the only way to get rid of Trump. And, and so even though it's going to cause some pain, it's worth it because that's the only way to save our democracy, which, first of all, I mean, I wish, you know, we're not supposed to have a democracy. It's supposed to be a republic, and we need to save the republic from democracy. It's democracy that is destroying it. But the fact of the matter is, Bill Maher is rooting for the economy to do poorly so we can get rid of Trump. Now, ironically, a recession is what the economy needs, but Bill Maher doesn't know that. See, he actually thinks a recession is bad. That's why he's rooting for it. So he cares more about getting rid of Trump than he cares about the lives of the average American, right? Because he's not going to suffer in a recession, right? Just the average guy. But he doesn't realize that a recession is what we need that the the pain is actually going to end up producing gain. He doesn't get Austrian economics. He actually thinks that things are good right now, and he wants it to end. He wants the party to end so things will get bad so that they can get rid of Trump. See, I know that this is phony prosperity. I know that it's a bubble. I know that the sooner we prick it, the better. I know the sooner we can stop digging the hole, the sooner we can start getting out of it. So I want a recession for other reasons, not because... I want to discredit Trump. The last thing I want is to discredit Trump because I know what Trump stands for, and I don't want free markets to be discredited. I don't want tax cuts or limited government or deregulation to get the blame for what's about to happen. But I'm afraid that that is what's going to happen, right? And I'm afraid that the Democrats who hate Trump, right, are going to... You know, take advantage of the fact that the economy is going to collapse before Trump finishes his term and not his second term the way it happened under Bush but in his first term they are going to take advantage of it they are going to exploit this opportunity to utilize democracy right, and all their special interest groups to get rid of Trump and replace him with a Bernie Sanders type guy if not Bernie Sanders himself and not just in the White House Uh, but in Congress as well. So this is what we've got coming. And, you know, I wish there would be less of a double standard when it comes to the tolerance, when the left comes out and says something like, you know, F Trump, right, and gets away with it. And there is so zero tolerance uh, the other way around. And believe me, you know, if somebody had said that about about Barack Obama, that would have been it. Their, their career would have been over. They would have been, you know, nothing left uh, for them. You know, the last thing I want to talk about, which actually dovetails into what I was talking before about, you know, less government to make the American economy more competitive. But it also uh, is going to continue on what I spoke about in a podcast last week about the Supreme Court allowing the, uh, the baker to refuse to bake uh, the cake for the homosexual wedding. And that is this lawsuit that was filed by an employee of uh, Point 72, which is a hedge fund that is run by Stephen Cohen. And this woman has filed a uh, gender discrimination lawsuit, I guess on behalf of women, Not just on behalf of herself, but maybe women in general. I'm not really sure all the intricacies of this lawsuit. I know that she only worked for the company for about 18 months before she filed it. And she's still working there. And she's claiming that there's some kind of widespread systematic uh, sexism at the company. And that that's the reason why there are so few women working uh, as portfolio managers or working in various positions it's because of this institutionally based uh, sexism. And so she's filing this lawsuit. And herself, personally, uh, she claims that she was not promoted for uh, on her job because of her gender, right? She said it couldn't possibly have anything to do with any other factor like, you know, my qualifications or my experience. She's 100% sure that she was passed over for promotion because of her gender, and she claims that she's being paid $0.35 cents on the dollar compared to men who work at uh, .72 and who do the same work uh, or, and are as competent or no more competent than she is and yet she's being paid $0.35 cents on the dollar and so she's filed this lawsuit. And this is the problem. This lawsuit and the laws that allow it to be filed. First of all, it should be the right of any employer to hire people or not hire people based on any factor that they want, including gender. So if .72 really didn't want to hire women, if that was really what was going on, that's their right. It should be their right. I mean, I understand the current law with all these special privileges that have been given to various groups in exchange for their votes. But when you empower people to file lawsuits against their employers, you not only destroy individual liberty because now you've destroyed the rights of the people who decided to employ other people, but you end up making the uh, country less competitive, and you actually it actually backfires. First of all, you know when people hear about this, employers hear about this. The first thing they think about is, man, I better not hire any women. Who the hell wants a lawsuit like this? Especially if you're, a, you know, you're a small employer. I mean, do you really want to get sued? And plus, this woman's still working there because they probably can't fire her now because now it would be retaliation. So now, now she's stuck. I mean, imagine having to come to work every day and someone who's already sued you, and you think the lawsuit is frivolous, but you can't even fire them because then you'll get sued for that. So now you're stuck with an employee who's suing you, right? So the, the, the whole thing is going to backfire. Number one, against women. But number two, let's let let's just get back to the heart of the allegations here that this woman is making. Because even though I think that a company like Point72 should be allowed to discriminate, and they should be allowed not to hire women if they don't want to, and they should be allowed to pass over women for promotion simply because they're women, and they should be allowed to pay women 35 cents on the dollar if the women will let them get away with it, I think I think all that is fine legally. But practically, I don't believe it's gonna happen. I mean, first of all, all these hedge funds, like 0.72, they want to maximize their profits. Right? That's all these guys care about, right? They're greedy money grubbers, right? They want to make money. And if they thought that hiring women would make them more money, then that's what they'd do. I mean, they're not gonna pass up qualified women, more qualified than the men, to make them money. And say, well, I know this woman is really great. And if I hired her, I mean, I'd really make a ton of money. But, ah, she's a woman. I just don't want to hire a woman. I mean, they're not thinking that. Unless they don't want to hire women because they don't want to get sued by them. But throw that aside for the minute. And just forget about those laws. Nobody is going to do that. And if they were doing that, they wouldn't stay in business very long. Because their competitors would be snapping up all these Great women that they're bypassing that are just as good, if not better, than all these men that they're hiring. I mean, think about her allegation that she's being paid $0.35 cents on the dollar. Really? Really? You're doing the exact same work for $0.35? First of all, if .72 could hire women and pay them $0.35 cents on the dollar to men, why do they have any men working there at all? Just hire all women. Save a fortune, right? I mean, don't, these guys are greedy. They want to make money. Right, if you can get all these women at 35 cents on the dollar, do it. The reason they're not doing it is because they can't. They, they're, they're not able to do it. The market won't let them. Why? Because this woman, if she was really being paid 35 cents on a dollar, you think 0.72 is the only hedge fund in New York? She could just take her resume, go to some other funds, and say, hey, guess what? You can hire me on the cheap. I got a job right now at 0.72. They're paying me 35 cents on the dollar. Why don't you pay me 70? You know, you're still going to save 30% off of a guy and hire me and I'll double my pay. And they'd say, sure, we'll hire you for 70 cents on the dollar. If you could really do 100 cents of the work and only charge 70 cents, the fact that she's not quitting and taking a higher paying job is proof that she's not getting paid 35 cents on the dollar. And of course, she wouldn't even have to quit. All she has to do is go to her boss and say, hey, I just got offered a job at twice the pay at your competition. And I'm going to go take that job unless you double my pay, which you should do, because she'd still be paying me 70 cents on the dollar. I'm still a steal. The fact that she hasn't done that proves that it's all nonsense. Look, whenever you have a job, you're going to get passed over for a promotion because not everybody's going to get the promotion. She is convinced that she wasn't promoted because she was a woman. What if that's not the case? What if it's because some guy actually was more qualified than her? She doesn't want to admit that. So she comes up with this excuse that it's because I'm a woman. But what if that's not the reason? See, the problem with these laws that that take away individuals' rights to discriminate is you now create the thought police, right? The government now has to get into the head of the employer and force the employer to prove that he didn't make a decision based on gender, so now he's got to go out and prove, right? You're guilty until you're able to prove your innocence and say, okay, prove why you gave this promotion to this guy instead of this woman, right? I mean, this is not fair, number one, but it's so easy to just claim, well, I wasn't promoted because I'm a woman or I'm being paid less because I'm a woman. I mean, how do you know what she would get paid if she was a man? Because she's not a man. Look, I have a company, Europe Pacific Asset Management. We have portfolio managers. I have four portfolio managers. All four of them are men. Did I just set out to hire men? No, but we ended up with four men. That's just how it is. You know, I didn't care what their gender was, but they happened to end up being men. Now, I know the whole industry is dominated by men. I mean, it's not just .72. I mean, I worked as a broker for many firms. I worked for Lehman Brothers, Shearson Lehman. I think there was probably 100 brokers on, in this one floor that I was working on in in downtown Los Angeles on Figueroa Street, like 100 brokers, it was all a huge, huge room, big bullpen, right, with lots of desks. There wasn't a single woman, not one. I mean, was it just because they were discriminating against women? No, the women didn't want the jobs. I mean, there were some women in the office, but they were sales assistants. They were uh, working in compliance, uh, working in operations, but none of them were working as brokers. And it was all commission. I mean, it was. I mean, if a woman would have come in there wanting to work on commission, they'd have hired her. But they didn't. They they, they weren't there for the job. You know, and this is, you know, probably very similar experience at a lot of Wall Street firms. It's not due to discrimination. But let's say I decided to hire a fifth portfolio manager. What if I hired a woman? Let's say. And what if I happened to pay her less than I was paying the four men? That are already doing the job. I mean, how do I know that she's not going to come and sue me one day and say, "You're, you know, this is uh, uh, unfair uh, pay. You're not equal pay, and I'm going to sue you retroactively. You got to pay me more." Well, how does she know that I'm paying her less because she's a woman? Maybe I could have hired a guy for the same low pay that I hired her, but I didn't. I hired her, right? So if I hire the guy. And not the woman, then I don't have to worry about him ever suing me for not paying him enough. Because if I'm paying him less than other men, he can't claim it's because of his sex, because he's a man. right? I mean, I'm assuming if I had four female portfolio managers, I could hire a fifth and not have to worry about what I paid her relative to the four who were already working there. But if the ones I already have are men, then if I hire a woman, I have to make sure and pay her as much money as the guys. But What if I can get a fifth guy and I get a deal on him? I can get him for less pay. That's what I'm going to do, right? Because if I hire the woman and I can pay the woman less, well, she might sue me. But the point is, if I'm paying somebody less, it's got nothing to do with their gender. But if you happen to be a woman, you can sue and claim it's because of your gender. Even though that may not be why, it still gives you the right to file a lawsuit. I think this woman filed a lawsuit. she has been there for about eight 18 months, and I think she was filing a lawsuit for about $18 million. I'm not sure the exact amount, but it sounds like a million dollars a month. I mean, how much damage could they have done to her that she's entitled to a million dollars a month uh, for her employment? Of course, you know, I've read that, you know, the company wants to try to get this out of court. They want to try to settle it. But this is a shakedown. This woman is shaking them down. Again, even if they did discriminate, I think it's their right to do it. And, you know, if a business is going to discriminate, and they're going to uh, eliminate the talents of half the population, right? If you're really going to say I'm going to I'm going to pay all these qualified, bright, hardworking women, I don't want them at all, or I'm only going to hire them if I can pay them thirty-five cents on a dollar, your comp- your competitors are going to get all these great women at a bargain because they're going to pay more than thirty-five cents on a dollar, and it's your loss. And if if, if you if you want to make a dumb decision, then you have a right to make a dumb decision. But I don't think that these companies are going around making all these dumb decisions. I think that if a woman is getting paid less, there's probably a good reason for it, and it's not simply because she's a woman. There are other factors involved that this woman who's filing this lawsuit doesn't want to consider. You know, She just wants to file the lawsuit because she wants more money, or she doesn't want to accept the fact that she didn't get promoted because somebody else was better qualified. Now, she also claims that One of the reasons is there was one of the guys on this compensation or promotion committee. There are like maybe 20 people on the committee, and one of them was a woman out of the 20. And one of the 20 guys, or 19 guys, apparently she had reported this guy for a sexual harassment. And so she thinks this guy is the one that sabotaged her, when it's highly unlikely. First of all, my gut would be, if I was one of those guys, if I was the guy that was you know, accused of sexual harassment, I would keep my mouth shut. I mean, I've already been accused of sexual harassment, whether I did it or not. I mean, I would just kind of recuse myself from the whole conversation. Like, okay, you know, you guys decide if you want to promote this woman, but obviously I'm probably biased because she could accuse me of sexual harassment. Um, And I'm not going to assume that the guy was guilty of the harassment just because he got accused from it, because I know how easy it is for a woman to just accuse anybody of doing anything, whether they actually did it or not. But I seriously doubt this one guy. He's one person out of, out of 20, and when one of them was also a woman, that he was able to convince everybody else not to promote her. And, of course, I'm sure everybody knew about the allegation. So if the only guy out of 20 that doesn't want to promote her is the one that she happened to accuse of harassment, the other people might be able to say, well, he's obviously biased, so let's you know forget about what he has to say. So to say that that one guy is what crushed her chances, of, of a promotion, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. But of course, she's able to allege whatever she wants. She gets a lawyer that's going to, I'm sure she's probably not even paying the lawyer, right? All these lawyers that sue companies, they work for free, right? They're on contingency. But the companies, they don't get their defense lawyers working on contingency. They got to write the checks. So the playing field is nowhere near level because you got the employer spending lots of money and the upside to the employer is nothing. All they can do is not lose, right They spend all this money and the best they can get is not to have to write a check to the person who's suing them where the person who's suing has all the upside where they either win a big check or they don't have or they just don't get a big check because they're not paying any legal bills because the lawyer is covering that. And, and so it's just a big shakedown. It's legalized extortion. And again, the message that it's sending to all the employers out there, is be careful when you hire women because you never know when they're going to drag you into a lawsuit. Right? And the last thing anybody wants to do is be dragged into a lawsuit. I want to finish up this podcast, though, by talking about the weekend carnage in the cryptocurrencies. All the cryptocurrencies got clobbered. I think the total market cap finally fell back below $300 billion, which, of course, is still a tremendous market cap. Uh, And so there's a lot of uh, market cap that's still going to evaporate before this, you know, all the air comes out of this bubble. But we had a big drop. And, you know, I've noticed that a lot of the big declines seem to happen over the weekends, you know, because the cryptocurrencies trade seven days a week. They don't, you know, it's not like a five day week like most other markets. They're trading 24-7. And there was a lot of selling over the 48 hours of the weekend, particularly on Sunday, and, you know, there was some news, there was a hack of a very, very small exchange, uh, and they they want to blame that. Also, there were some subpoenas issued uh, by the U.S. government as part of their investigation for manipulation. And, you know, they want to point to those uh, pieces of news as, as being the catalyst. But who knows? I mean, if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. I mean, there's always news coming out. To me, I just think it was real technical action. I've been commenting on that that uh, Bitcoin was not rallying at all uh, during an environment where all the news was supposedly good, all the currency turmoil throughout the world, emerging market currencies blowing up, and nobody turning uh, to Bitcoin as a safe haven. Or if there were, uh, there were plenty of people trying to get rid of their uh, Bitcoin. And so the market wasn't going up on good news. And if a market's not going up on good news, then it's not going to go up, period. It's going to go down. And that's generally what happens in a bear market: is good news is ignored, and the market continues to go lower. We had been consolidating, and we broke down. And now, as I'm recording this, Bitcoin is trading at about 67.50. As I thought, we broke through that 7,000 barrier. And where we are right now, this is really uh, the lows that we got uh, back in uh, April. You know, we had several days where the lows were you know, high 6,000s, you know, a little bit below 7,000 before we got that $1,000 uh, spike that happened in one day, and all of a sudden we jumped from 7,000 up to 8,000. Um, and now we're all the way back down to those lows, and the chart chart looks bad. I mean, if we don't hold this level right here, now we could. I mean, maybe we'll hold because this this has been the support. It was the was support actually back in february as well because we got down there uh in that low and then we kind of then we rallied and then we we got back down there again we tested it then we rallied but the rally that we had uh more recently uh, did not come back to the earlier rally so we we had you know lower lows in the rally Uh, which suggests that, you know, the market is trending down. Also, volume has been pretty weak. I mean, there's been less interest in trading. I pointed out the collapse, you know, just look at Google search trends uh, for Bitcoin and you can see where the number of searches has just collapsed from where it was uh, late last year, early this year. Uh, And so finally, we got this big sell off. And again, there's no real panic. Nobody is worried about this. Everybody is holding on, right, because Hey, this is just more of the same, but we're getting ready. If we don't hold this level, there's really nothing beneath the market and maybe another couple of thousand point drop. Maybe we go down to 5,000, 4,000, you know, in the threes. Then maybe we get, you know, some speculators coming in and trying to, trying to buy for some short-term trades. But whenever you have speculators coming in for a short-term trade, they buy the sell-offs, that's more supply. They're not there for the long term. They're not buying these things to hold them forever. They're buying them to sell them to the rallies. And that's going to be the additional supply uh, when you get the rally. And, of course, there's still the longtime holders, the concentrated whales that have had Bitcoin for a long time. They're still looking to realize some profits to turn these paper profits into actual profits. And we're running out of speculators. I mean, a lot of people got burned who jumped onto this market Late last year, early this year, they have 50% or more losses. How much are they going to take? And meanwhile, you have a lot of these core true believers that have never sold a Bitcoin in their life. Or they've sold the bare minimum uh, you know, just so they can you know, pay the, their, their minimum expenses. But they're afraid to sell anything else because they're afraid of all the profits they're going to miss out on if they sell. So they're holding on uh, to the Bitcoin because they're holding on to their dream right, of a million dollars of Bitcoin when are they going to give up they will eventually they're going to they're going to capitulate there's going to be some selling we're not even close to that point yet i mean we've lost all this value the prices dropped so dramatically and there's still no despair nobody's worried there's no nervousness there's no panic what does that tell you that tells you that we're nowhere near the bottom even if we're making a short-term bottom we're not making a long-term bottom. And for now, the only indication of a short-term bottom is that this level of support has held, right? It's held twice, but there's an old expression about you know these double bottoms uh, and, and, and they're made to be broken. And I, I don't think these bottoms look solid. I think when you have a double bottom, once you break through it, the next thing you know is the old support becomes the new resistance. And that's probably what's gonna happen. If we have a big break down to 5,000, 4,000 or lower, What's going to act as resistance is going to be about 7,000 or a little bit above. That's going to be the new resistance. And then we're going to keep trading until we break uh, support again. But eventually, it's going to be like a dam breaking and the market's going to implode. And that's where you're going to have everybody trying to get out, everybody cashing out, right? trying to preserve whatever value they have left. And And that's when we're going to ultimately make a bottom. But that bottom is a long, long way down. And of course, you know, I believe that once we make that bottom, it's not really going up very much. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? There may be some small trading opportunities, but we're not going to go anywhere near uh, the 20,000 level. We're not even going to go anywhere near the level we're at now, because this is so far out of whack. Most of these cryptocurrencies are going to go to zero, if not all of them. And there may be some that don't go to zero, but wherever they go, it's not going to be anywhere near the vicinity where they're trading now.